We are in Exodus chapter, it's really the second message or the part two of uh, the message from last time. Three testy trials, last time we talked about the uh, cycle of, of testing, etc. Three testy trials, we're in Exodus chapter 16, beginning of 17. Exodus chapter 16, the beginning of 17. And we're going to read the first four verses of 16 and go from there. Exodus chapter 16. First four verses, if you're over there, and follow along. Exodus 16, 1 through 4, it says for us here, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, care, concern. Help us as we think about this text this evening. Thank you. Do not leave us alone. You didn't leave the Israelites alone in the wilderness, and you do not leave us alone here in 2022. Thank you for the promises that remain steadfast and sure. Uh, be with the needs this evening. Many physical, spiritual needs. Pray to be with each of these. May uh, the message tonight be one that glorifies you. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. And please fill me with your spirit tonight. I cannot do that without you. So please help me this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last time we talked about the idea of history. Students are were told you can do two things with history. Either number one, you can learn from it. Or two, you can ignore it. And then a cynic comes along later, and we're probably more familiar with this little phrase. There's one thing we have learned from history is that we have not learned from history. And so our culture, it seems that's what our culture has done. We have not learned from history. And our spiritual walk, we should learn from history. However, we sometimes do not. It says in 1525 that he wanted to prove them. And that 164, that I may prove them or try them or test them to see what they're made of, if you would. No child of God just happens, by the way, to move into the wilderness. God sovereignly designs, I believe, the wilderness as, uh, wilderness as for us to work in, to walk in, etc., I don't think anything happens by luck. Luck is not a word I don't believe for the Christian. It is God's directing in our lives. So we are to learn from history. If thou wilt diligently, 1526, hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt thou wilt do which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Because we do not learn from history, it seems like we go through the same cycles over and over if we are not careful. Three testy trials from the last time. The first was the test of time. In 16.1, they took their journey from Elam. So they've had a time of rest, and now it's been a month and a half. And, and now we find then that there is going to be a, a, this waiting for God to move, and he's not moved yet, etc. And so there's that test of time. The whole congregation of Israel murmured against Moses in 16.2. The definition of murmur is to grumble. 
to complain, to grumble and complain. And last week, if you remember, two weeks ago, if you remember, I gave you the illustration of what might cause a family to grumble. I gave you the illustration of a two-door sedan loaded with luggage going on vacation, a father and a mother and three children under 10 going for a 500-mile trip for vacation. I've got one up on you. I've got one. My wife, in the 1960, late 60s, her and her family in a Ford Fairlane, mom, dad, six children, no air conditioning, no games to play, went from Harrisburg, or Florida, to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. She would sleep in the window sometimes. And so well, that was the mid-night, late, mid to late 60s. And so that's a little bit more than, than three children and mom and dad. This was a mom and dad and six, a Ford Fairlane. Now that's not really, a, if it had been a Pontiac Catalina, the huge boat of a car might have been better. Or had been a Buick Roadmaster, you can almost put four in those. But a Ford Fairlane. I mean, I had a 60 Ford Fairlane wagon with a 260 with a little three thing on it. And it was not a large car. It was like a tank. Anyway. So there's things that might be grumble-worthy, but we're not to be grumbling. Again, what were they doing? If you look back in verse 3 now, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died in the hand of the Lord and in the hand of Egypt when they sat by the flesh pots, etc. They were looking back. Isn't it interesting? They're looking back for the siestas when they were eating uh, fried fish sandwiches or fresh fish sandwiches on Jewish bagels. Wake up. They weren't doing that. When they were there as slaves, they were mercilessly treated. It's some kind of rosy hue. We look back and say, wow, man, two years ago we had a May. Really? Back then, two years ago, you say, man, three years ago we had a May. And then when you were back there, it's like, man, you see what I'm saying? We just got to stop that. And and God's been been faithful. If you look back, I can almost guarantee you're going to start grumbling. You may be in that grumbling content right now in your current situation, but chances are good, again, two years ago, you look back, well, you were all having problems then. I like what uh, Matthew Henry says. Uh, Matthew Henry is a long time ago, but he said this. Discontent magnifies, discontent magnifies what is past and vilifies what is present without regard for truth or reason. And that's it. We, we vilify the present. We magnify the past without truth or reason. Now, I have to say, I can't look back at a Ford Fairline with six kids and a mom and dad and look back with any rosy hue on that. I, wasn't, I didn't even know her then, obviously, but that seems like a very stressful thing. No air conditioning and probably just the AM radio. Can you imagine? No, no videos for kids to watch or games to play on such a long... They actually had to talk to one another. And You're sitting on my side of the seat. He's on my side. I cut that. Oh, my, brother, my brother was so bad about this. I draw the line and he'd just get over there on my... Of course, it probably was me also doing that as well, but I was... We find then that Moses had learned to trust God. However, the people had to learn that as well. And I like this. John Butler, long before COVID-19, Pastor Butler said, We are to vaccinate yourself against the murmuring with daily injections of the word of God. Vaccinate yourself against murmuring by daily injections of the word of God. Now, I like that kind of vaccination, the word of God injected into us. So that's a testy trial number one. That was quick because it was a review, and that would be the test of uh, of thirst, test of time, sorry, test of time. Secondly, it's going to be the test of hunger in 16.3. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, I like what Arthur Pink said, who are they kidding? 
it is evident that in their hot-headed insubordination they lied, for as slaves of the merciless Egyptians, there is no ground whatever for us to suppose that they sat by the flesh pots or ate bread to the full. And look at the extreme in verse 3. We find that the, to kill this whole assembly, what, this really is a great distrust of God and the power of God's goodness. God has brought them out. Now remember, it's only been a month and a half month and a half and so it's not been that long that they've been in the wilderness and yes now they got, they were thirsting and god gave them water to eat them etc and they had a time of respite but now now they're going to get thirsty again verse four and god said to moses behold i will rain bread Sorry, they're going to get hungry again as well behold i will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that i may prove them whether they walk in my law or no Interesting announcement. I'm going to meet your needs for hungry, but hunger, but in meeting your need, I'm going to give you another test. So we've had time, we've had hunger, and we're going to have thirst in just a little bit. I'm going to give you another test. Isn't it? Perhaps we find ourselves in the midst of some predicament that we cannot escape. God says, I'll provide a way out. I'll show you the way out. But while I'm doing that, you may have another test on the way out. That's what happened here. Verse 6 now. And Moses and Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at even, Then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning then shall you see the glory of the Lord. For he that heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and he, we, what we are, or what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us. But against the Lord, wow, isn't that, uh, doesn't that really brawl us up short? When we're murmuring, I'm murmuring against the Lord, not against the, really the, the situation necessarily. It's, we're doubting, we're sort of showing a doubt for God's provision. So Moses says, sort of paraphrasing, let's get this straight, folks. Who are we that you are grumble against us? Look, we're, we're just people, flesh and blood, the same as you. Furthermore, this was not our idea. We did not lead you into the wilderness. That was God's direction. We did not put that cloud up there. We're not the light, the pillar of fire. We're not that. So do not complain against us. So that was Moses' response to the people. You're complaining against the Lord. Now, sometimes we are prone to complaining. I found this neat little poem uh, written by a man named David Berwick. If you don't like the weather, listen to this. Monday, I was angry with the sun. It was always in my eyes. No fun. Tuesday, I was angry with the rain. Forgot my umbrella. What a pain. Wednesday, I was angry with the wind. It blew all the rubbish I had binned. Thursday, I was angry with the cold, hurting my bones now that I'm old. Friday, I was angry with the ice slipped on the steps. It was not nice. Saturday, I was angry with the snow. Stopped me from getting to where I wanted to go. And Sunday, I was angry that I stayed in. Poor old weather. It cannot win. Seems like we just we can find something to be, uh, complain about if we're not careful. When we're tempted to come unglued or to become despondent, we were coming by the, uh, on the way to church tonight, and there was in, in the parking lot of one of the restaurants there in Greenup. They had this car and it had like three car three cars right in front of it, and my, and my wife said, I, "I guess they don't want him to get out." And so it's like I don't know if it, what had happened. I don't know. I don't even know who the person was. People were. But that's, we get cornered, and, we, and we, sometimes we, get, we just get in a situation where we just don't respond correctly. 
when we become despondent, remember, God is the one who has allowed these circumstances into our lives. Don't blame someone else. It's helpful to remember that your grumbling goes right back to the Lord. Does, does the God not... We're, we're happy to pray, and I pray almost all the time at home without verbalizing it, and I, I, the Lord, I know, hears me. But you know, the same Lord who hears those prayers hears my thoughts the wrong direction as well. I'm happy, we're happy he hears the prayers, but are we just as happy to hear it? Well, not really. I don't really want to know about that. I don't really want to know that I even thought that. Don't, so don't blame someone else. The complaints really land at God's feet. Some of us are making, Swindoll says, some of us make grumbling a habit, even though we may cover it up on Sundays and Wednesdays. Whether we are moving along in traffic, Pastor Tim, or we have been served a late meal, whether we are planning a last-minute arrangement with someone or working with a difficult group, we are given to complaining and grousing. It is like we have the gift of grumbling and feel we ought to exercise it with gusto. The only problem is that particular gift never appears in God's book. Let us get right, folks. He says, there is no gift of grumbling, neither is there the gift of criticism. Oh, I have the gift of... No, you do not. You may criticize, but you don't have that gift. You're listening to the wrong spirit, if that is your gift all the time. The Bible never affirms griping or sniping and barking over daily situations. It doesn't affirm that. Matter of fact, we're to count our many blessings, name them one by one. Where to do? Amazing the people of God, we grumble even when God provides the food. They grumble, God provides it in abundance. Why did the people of Israel grumble about the food? Why did they grumble about manna? It wasn't what they really wanted. I mean, we wanted steak, we got bologna. It wasn't even beef bologna. We preferred leg of lamb, rack of lamb, when we got liver. Now, that's really a trade-off there. But yikes, but at least we had something to eat. Our responses often are just like Israel's. Look at 13 now, chapter 16, verse 13. And it came to pass. Or this is the thing. <laughs> 13, sorry, 13 says, And it came to pass that even at the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness lay a small round thing, as small as a hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna. For they wished, knew not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat, and this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. Now keep in mind that these Hebrews had, had never read the book of Exodus, so they did not know, know what the manna was. This little round thing on the ground, by the way, it's actually called uh, in Psalms, angels' food. So I don't know if angels came down every night, possibly, and scattered it on the ground. Can you imagine how much flour it would take to feed two million people every single morning? How many biscuits that would be? I remember that, was it the guy that had this time to make the donuts guy would get up like at three in the morning, time to make the donuts. And can you imagine for two million people how much you'd have to have? It'd be like Barrel, you didn't have a dump truck. You had the semi-trucks of flour every day. But God did that for 40 years. Isn't that, we, we, we hear these things and it's like, uh, that's a major miracle. Your shoes did not wear out for 40 years. Wow. It's, it's amazing. It is. So his first appearance, God's heavenly catering service. God brought it from above. What is this? Well, it's manna, 15, the children saw it, they did not know what it was. The bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. You want a bread, Moses said to the Israelites, well, you've got it. And matter of fact, in 35, same chapter 35, it says, 
And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. 40 years of that stuff. But you know what? They did not like that either. Here they were in the middle of the wilderness with plenty of bread. And I was thinking, now what could I eat every day for 40 years and be okay with it? I thought about chocolate ice cream. Thought about that, but there's, and I don't know what I could eat. Biscuits every day for 40 years? I might be able to do that if they had honey for them. But you can imagine now, they did not like this. So here they were in the middle of the wilderness, plenty of bread. It was just not the bread that they wanted. Remember, the world does not revolve around us. It revolves around, it's God's world. They loathed it. Every morning, the angels brought down his heavenly catered meal and spread it before them. The Israelites did not have to work for it, did not have to grind the flour, knead the dough, or even bake it over the fire if they did not want to. All they had to do was to go out and to gather it, but they did not like it. Why? They were looking back. If you look into Numbers 11.5, please, hold your finger there and look at Numbers 11.5 and 6. Numbers 11, 5 and 6, we find here, what was the response of the Israelites? Numbers 11, now here's our little leek and garlic verses. Numbers 11, 5, Numbers chapter 11, 5 and 6. We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, which I'm not, it reminds me of leeches, but, and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I think of, it was that the guy uh, used to advertise garlic on the, his radio program. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. That's all we have. We remember all these things. Do they not have a rosy hue back in Egypt? Like, whoa, it wasn't that good. Their leaders were beaten. Their children were thrown into the river, to the crocodiles, alligators, whoever lived over in that way. And can you imagine they were, oh, we remember these things. Just take us back. Just imagine now they baked it, broiled it, boiled it, battered it, brunched it, put it in sandwiches, ate it raw, cut it up, made dumplings out of it, everything you could think of until there's nothing else left to do with it. They never were hungry, but you know what? They didn't like it. But now before we start throwing our stones at them and ooh, do, 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 do. I think we would very possibly have done the very same thing in the very same situation. Very possibly. I'm not saying we would have. Maybe I should speak for myself. Sometimes we might be in the grumbler's crowd. They gripe when they do not have it. and When they get it, they gripe about something else. They preferred something else. And when they get their preferred variety, they didn't get enough or they wanted something else. We cannot be pleased. Have you ever met people who just cannot be pleased no matter what you do? We'd be painfully honest with ourselves. That is responsive carnality. Talking with a, uh, someone this, this past week, we're talking about how to, in, in your home, what you might do between a husband and wife is ask the husband and wife to write down three things that you could do that would improve your marriage. I said, but when you ask your spouse to say that, man, get ready. What's three things I could do that would make our marriage better? Are you ready? Well, we're just going to start with three. Okay, let's just start with, maybe just start with one. But when you say that, do you see how you're opening yourself? Well, I don't want to, I really don't, it's like in the morning you look in the mirror, really have to look at that mirror? Yes, you do. I probably don't look long enough for your, for your wishes, but, oh man, oh, we're going to do so much there. And when you hear these things, it's, it's carnality. So when we start grumbling, it's operation carnality. When we start grumbling over everything God has given to us, we have been blessed beyond measure here. We have been. Yet, actually, I'm working on the, uh, 
uh, Hallett's, Greg Hallett's arrangement of Count Your Many Blessings. And I, it's a good place to count your many blessings, name them one. I tell you, it works. Thank you, Lord. And I've started this week. Uh, I'm not sure how long I'll be able to keep it up. Try to. It helps. I was reading, uh, was it from uh, Brennan's pen, about how that he, regarding prayer, if he starts thinking about something to keep his mind right, he starts praying about that. Well, that, well let's just pray about that right now. I'm thinking about, well, let's, Lord, please help that. It really helps to keep your mind where it belongs. Keeps you from going down the, the rabbit trail of, well, this is, what about this? And I don't have, if you're praying, to, thank you, Lord. Have you ever found that thanking the Lord for things, thank you for my health, thank you for this, thank you for, does that not lift your spirit up and, and get you off the negativisms? Yes, we all have. We all have difficulties. And some you don't even, in our own congregation, people have difficulties you're not even aware of. And I'm not even going to tell you them. But the Lord knows about them. We all have difficulties. There's not a one person here except for maybe Brother Bud who never has a problem number one. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure. Maybe if I ask him about it, he probably would tell me about it. So three tests, three testy trials, time, hunger, and the last one's thirst and 17. You say, Pastor, you did not read every verse. It's, it's a big book, Exodus, and we're going to get, uh, I'm not going to probably read every single verse of every single chapter because it's a big book, but we're going to, you got the idea. The rest of 16 is about the manna that God gave to them. Verse chapter 17 now, the third testy trial. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and they pitched in Rephidim, which was, a, which was located in the mountains uh, range and southern part of Mount, on the Sinai Peninsula, just a few hours away from Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. So Horeb and Sinai, same thing. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water. There's been time. There's been hunger, and now give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Moses is an outstanding leader. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take then thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And the Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, had I been the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, Tetragrammaton, that the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, I might say, You know what? I'm going to start over. Because they just don't listen. Can you imagine how many times he's wanted to start over with me? Okay, okay that'd be too many to count. How about you? Has he ever wanted to start over with you? You've just gotten so apart away from what I want you to be. He doesn't do that. Our spiritual needs are far more important, by the way, than our physical needs. And by the way, as you're thinking about water, think about two million people and livestock. How much water that would be millions of gallons every day. It's not some little trickle. Like coming out of my faucet or something or, or dripping down from the back of my shower. It's not some little trickle. It's like, it's got to be like a gush of water. When you, have to, when, you have to, when you think, am I just speaking clearly to have that much water for that many people? You've got to have a, a large flowing bit of water. They complain, yes. They chide with him in verse 2. Give us water, we may drink. Chided uh, is uh, really beyond grumbling. It's quarreled, if you would. 
Who will give us food that grumble, give us water that we may drink? Why chide you with me? You're really speaking to the Lord. Why tempt you the Lord? Moses asked him, realizing how short-sighted they were. He attempted to turn their eyes back to the Lord. And maybe they would bow down and pray, Lord, please provide the water for us. Not, that is not what happened, evidently. They did not bow and ask the Lord. Moses did. Repeatedly tempting and testing the Lord, but they refused to listen. In verse 3, they thirsted. And wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And he knows a threatening scene when he sees one, Moses does. They're about, does. They're about to stone me. But I don't think these were exaggerated words whatsoever. You've got two million of very thirsty, unhappy, hot, tired, sweaty, grumbly people. What's the first? If a baseball team's doing really poor about mid-season, what do they do? Fire the manager. The manager's no good. We got to do something. Fire the manager. You're out of here. We'll find somebody else. So they're going to fire. They're going to fire the manager if they're not careful. So here we are. That Lord. And so God says, "I will provide." Someone has said that uh, when you boil down grumbling to the basic common denominator, you realize it's actually asking God, "Are you here or not?" Are you going to provide this need? Are you going to meet this? Are you going to take care of this need or not? For grumbling, Lord. And so Moses, what does he call it? He calls the place Meribah, to quarrel, to remind us whom they argued with. A lot of churches have a lot of good names like Grace or Faith or Brian or Sunnyside or Missionary or Victory. I wonder what Moses would call our church. Call them Meribah. Or Massah, whatever, Massah, call them that. Why? So that you remember how you grumbled against the Lord. We have, remember the Alamo. Remember uh, the Maine. Remember 9-11. Remember Pearl Harbor. We have those. And he's saying to them, remember Maribel. Remember now, every time you go here, how you chided with the Lord because he had not provided water for you yet and how you doubted his leadership. So three quick lessons in closing. First of all, it's H-A. It takes a humble attitude to learn from earthly tests. God not only wants us to endure tests, he wants us to learn from them. The Bible says, he that trusteth his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. We are to learn in humility. Humility is not a popular topic today. It's not something people are striving for. Ben Franklin said, as, sure, as soon as I know that I've earned humility, I will have lost it. The fool is not humble. The fool remains proud. So the fool stews in the juices of his own ignorance. Some of you can hear, we can hear about or read about events and get up and resume our lives of grumbling as, as you, if you heard them speak, if you looked on, this was at somewhere today for lunch, and I saw all the graphic pictures of all the devastation and, the, and all that's happened during the hurricane time and these people, aren't the houses still underwater? Some of them I think they are. And, and they're without, and all these things, I saw a cat got rescued there uh, uh, somewhere and it was like storming around and the guy braved the water and took the cat and got him to safety and we're all cheering, I guess. It's great. But we, 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 do you have empathy for that person? The wife and I were reading about suffering last night. Empathy is when you put yourself in that person's body, if you would, and see things from their standpoint. My son always has told me, Dad, you need to see things from both sides, not just your perspective. Put yourself in that person's shoes and see what they are going through. That's it's good advice. Humble attitude. Uh, secondly, is a heavy attack. It takes a heavy attack to break a habit. I think 21 days will break a habit if you do the same thing or will start a habit. Now, some of these daily habits might become addictions 
Nothing is set in concrete more deeply than the Egyptian habits. The Israelites had feasted on the diet of Egypt. They want to continue on, and now we have manna, and we're going to have quail, but we have the same food day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. We have, I'm wearing the same pair of shoes. I got the same pair of shoes on for 40 years. These cotton-picking things won't just go. And I want a new pair. Why, son? Those are working great for you, but it's the same brown I had on. Yes, well, praise the Lord, they lasted 40 years. And I said, son, because the adults, almost all the adults, none of them went into the promised land, if you remember. Hardly any of them did, except for Joshua and Caleb's families. So have we said to ourselves, why don't we get through the situation and get on to something else? I've been there. Lord, I, I had this test for quite some time. It's the same old test. Can we just go on to something else? No, you cannot because you've not learned from the first one. Until you learn this lesson, you cannot, uh, Mrs. Herman, you cannot start playing the songs until you have sat down. I practiced, I did scales for 45 minutes my senior year of college. 45 minutes of exercise before I played my first song. You cannot start playing songs until you have warmed up. 45 minutes. I'm sure my parents are like, I'm thankful he's not practicing piano in our house anymore. Until you learn. Until you learn. You've got to learn this test, and then you can go to the next one. And once you learn that one, then we might go further. But you're going to stay right here. I'm thinking it happens in my life. Perhaps yours until I learn. So it takes a humble attitude. It takes a heavy attack to break a habit. And thirdly, it takes a heavenly appetite to enjoy a heavenly diet. I would have to have a I love liver appetite to enjoy liver and onions. Now, you may like that. And my wife would have to have a diet Mountain Dew mindset to enjoy diet. She despises that. She so doesn't like it. And so I've a couple times I've, I've conjured into drinking it. And, oh, so a heavenly appetite. If we want a heavenly diet, you wonder why you come to church and I get nothing out of it. We've not gotten nothing from him during the week. Church is just the culmination of what you've been doing all week long. If you never read the God's words, you'll be a fish out of water, no pun intended. But it's like, wow, you know, I didn't get, that's the most boring place to go. I tell you, there's nothing more exciting than studying God's Word. When you do it regularly, it changes your life. changes your life for the good. If you want, if you want to enjoy a heavenly diet, you cannot call 800 number or 888 number or 840 or 830 or 893. You can't call any of those. You can't get it by mail order. And UPS does not deliver a heavenly diet. You can't even get it in a local bookstore. You must have the content from God. I can't wait to hear about that. I want to know. In the sweet by and by, I want to know more about heaven. I can't wait. What's it like? What's it going to be like? When am I going? Well, that's only God knows, but are you ready to go? Two things you learn from history. You can either ignore it or you may learn from it. And if we do not, if we ignore it, the cost is going to be exceedingly expensive. I would say of our own country, where we stand, unless we learn and turn, the cost of our nation is going to be exceedingly expensive. There's a test of time, a test of hunger, a test of thirst. Unbeliever, sometimes God allows things in our lives to wake us up. The nominal believer, God has called us to serve. We are to be faithful in Bible reading and praying. We are to be faithful to be willing to offer our service to him. And sincere believer, trust that God's hand is on the thermostat. Trust that God's hand is on the thermostat, that he knows how hot test we need is let us pray 
Lord, I'm thankful that you do love us and care for us and you want what is best for us. Lord, you have died that we might have life. You've given yourself. You've given us your word that not, yes, it does a wonderful thing encouraging us and training us, but Lord, it really, a lot of the word purpose is to reveal you to us. May we not find ourselves just looking to see how everything can revolve around what I want to do and how I can have myself to have the bestest of times instead of how God would you use me today it is about him and when we leave him out of the picture of our lives we're missing it all it's he's the reason we're here he gave his life and if we name the name of Christ we should be following and obeying and not yielding to the temptations of the world. Help us, Lord, this week to have opportunity to tell others what you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.